There is an unseen hand to me that leads Welcome to the Unseen Hand Podcast, featuring the pulpit ministry of missionary evangelist Ronnie Brown. Listen in as Brother Ronnie shares the truth of the Bible and how God's unseen hand can lead and guide your life with each and every verse. This hand still leads me as I have your Bibles. I want you to take them to the, to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter number 14. If you would please stand, honor and reverence to God's Word. Our children can make their way to children's chapter, Matthew chapter number 14. Last week we started a series. I was looking back over, over the messages that I'd preached uh, since about July. And my goodness, how time flies. I don't think that's, that's the longest I've ever been outside of a series. I like a, a series pointing us in a direction, surrounding us around thoughts and a theme. And so we find ourselves back in it. Last week, we looked at a feast. We started the feast of Jesus. Jesus, <coughs> excuse me, Jesus oftentimes was found feasting with his disciples. And we're going to look at several of these feasts together. Last week we looked at that inaugural miracle of the Lord Jesus where he turned water into wine. And we looked at that and called it the mercy feast. When we are at the end of our extremity, he has mercy upon us and does what we, we could not possibly do for ourselves. And today, similarly, we look at another feast, and I want to call this the miracle feast. The miracle feast, like uh, our sister was saying just a moment ago, Jesus still walks on water, He still calms troubles, He he still works miracles. And I believe we see that in this Matthew chapter number 14. Pick up reading in verse number 13, read down through verse number 21. When Jesus heard of it, He departed thence by ship into a desert place apart. And when the people had heard thereof, they followed him on foot out of the cities. And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them. And he healed their sick. And when it was evening, his disciples came to him saying, This is a desert place and and the... This is a desert place, and the time is now past. Send the multitude away, that they may go into the villages and buy themselves victuals. But Jesus said to them, They need not depart. Give ye them to eat. And they said of him, We have here but five loaves and two fishes. And he said, Bring them hither to me. And he commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass and took five loaves and two fishes and looking up to heaven, he blessed and break and gave the loaves to his disciples and the disciples to the multitude. And they did eat, they did all eat and were filled and they took up the fragments that remained, twelve baskets full. And they had eaten, and, and they that had eaten were about 5,000 men besides women and children. You can be seated. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. I want to speak to you again this morning on a miracle feast. A miracle feast. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you this morning. Thank you that you are still in the miracle working business. You still enter our lives and calm our troubled steeds. And you, if, you did it, if you did it before, you can do it again. Father, I pray for those here this morning that have, are well past the point of believing in a miracle for their lives. They, they may believe that, uh, that their situation is too far gone. It's too difficult. It's too late. It's too, uh, the supplies are too small. Father, I pray you'd speak directly to their heart and show us that you are a miracle working God. For those that are lost, they know not the Savior in saving faith. They are deep in their sin, far from God. We pray that today they would see the miracle working power of Jesus of, of Nazareth. For this miracle has not all to do with filling bellies. It has all to do with saving souls, changing people's lives. I pray people would see that this day. Father, I pray you'd speak to our hearts individually, personally, where we are as a church, as a people. God, you'd feed us from this table, this feast. God, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thomas Jefferson is best known as one of the founding fathers of the United States of America. But he had a lot to say about Christianity, about the Bible, and about Jesus. 
You see, he believed the Bible, the Gospels in particular, had been corrupted by lore, by superstition, and that the real message of Jesus needed to be delivered from all the myths that surrounded it. Jefferson created his own Bible. Have you ever heard of the Jefferson Bible? You can go online and you can look it up and you can see pictures of this Bible, the Jefferson Bible. The Jefferson Bible is a version of the Bible in which he took a razor and began to go through the Gospels and, uh, and cutting out certain words and verses from Jesus that he deemed the corruptions of schismatic followers. He sought to remove passages, quote, of vigor ignorance, of things impossible, of superstitions, fanaticisms, and fabrications. Namely, he sought to remove from the Gospels the miraculous acts of the life of Jesus. And as you might deduce, he had a very slim and shoddy Bible when he finished that. Because the truth of the matter is, the teachings and the words of Jesus are bound to the miraculous work of Jesus. Christianity in and of itself, in its essence, is miraculous. Paul said about the miracle of the resurrection that if Jesus be not raised from the dead, then we are, our lives are in vain and we are still in our sins. Christianity rises and falls with God being able to work miracles. Warren Wiersbe said of miracles, why try to explain away a miracle? What do we prove? Certainly not that we're smarter than God. Either we believe in a God who can do anything, or we must accept a Christian faith that is non-miraculous. And that does away with the inspiration of the Bible, the virgin birth, and the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. C.S. Lewis wrote, The mind which asks for a non-miraculous Christianity is a mind in process of relapsing from Christianity into mere religion. That separates. The miraculous separates Christianity from every religion of this world. It is built upon the miraculous deeds of God. No, the truth of the matter is, is that the miraculous, the miracles of Jesus provide just as much a spiritual feast as His teachings provide us. My faith is strengthened. My soul is fed by the knowledge that the Lord Jesus can do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that I could possibly ask or think. This is never more true than when I look at this miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. Uh, the truth be known, I keep miraculous detail, or not miraculous, meticulous, not miraculous, meticulous details about what I preach, when I preach it, and what text I preach from. And the truth of the matter is, this may be the one miracle that I have preached over and over and over again in my life and ministry. It feeds my soul. It always seems to give me hope to face the life before me with confidence and to satisfy my heart that the hand that I hold can lead me through whatever the day ahead may face, and I may face in the days ahead. So I want us to sit down at this feast. Can you... Can you go with me back to where Jesus did this? Let us sit on the grassy hillside where Jesus performed this miracle, this miracle, a familiar miracle, and let's look at it with fresh eyes. Look at it as if we're seeing it for the first time. You see, I believe that all of us can find spiritual satisfaction for our hungry hearts in this miracle, by a miracle feast, by answering three questions. I want to give you three questions that I've drawn from this passage, that will, when we answer them, show us indeed we serve a miracle working God, that Jesus can do anything and still does anything today in our hour, in, our hour in which we live. So the first question we need to answer is this. What the facts say about this miracle? What do the facts say about this miracle? You know, let me be clear here that there only needs to be one account 
of an event in the life of Jesus to be mentioned in the gospel for it to be received as the truth of God, as actually really happening in life, whether it be the most minuscule miracle of Jesus in some obscure passage in the gospels, that's enough for us to know He did this. He's able to do this. It is the truth of what took place. But And because also that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. God inspired these words. God gave us this revelation, this truth of what actually physically, bodily happened. But this miracle is one of only two miracles in the life of Jesus that is consistently mentioned in all four of the Gospels. Did you realize that? The only other miracle, aside from the feeding of the 5,000, that's in all four of the Gospels, is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now that is a significant miracle. So that would lend us to believe that God is saying something very particular to us. It attests to the significance of what He is doing in this moment. God is saying something to us in this miracle. Let us first of all focus on what the facts of this miracle say to us. What the facts say. What is, what is the setting? What's going on here? What is the facts at the very beginning of this miracle? Notice first of all, we see the extremity of their surroundings. In verse number 13 and 15, notice that this miracle took place in what was described as a deserted area. Look at verse 13. Jesus heard He departed thence by ship unto, into a desert place. Verse number 15. And When it was evening, the disciples came to Him saying, This is a desert place. Notice the phrase desert there. Now the word desert does not necessarily mean like the Sahara Desert. When you think desert, what do you think? Arizona, tumbleweeds, cactuses, dust blowing in the, in the wind. Do you think of the Sahara Desert and, and its cracked ground and sand dune? What do you think about when you see the word desert? Well, the word desert doesn't necessarily mean the Sahara Desert. It means specifically a place that is desolate, lonesome and solitary. You see, in the Gospel of John, when we read the parallel account there, John gives the added uh, dimension, description, that there was much grass in the place. So we're looking at a grassy hillside. But it's not a desert as in sand and dryness. It is desolate. It is out of the way. Uh, I remember when I uh, was uh, going to college in Brevard, Brevard, North Carolina is one of the most beautiful places on the planet to me. I, I love it there. It's down in the, in the Appalachian Mountains, in the, in the Pisgah National Forest. And, and oftentimes we'd go back way in them woods and we'd go hiking out through there. And man, we'd be in a place, man, we're far removed from... I mean, if anybody broke a leg, if, 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 anybody, if anybody fell and was gashed by a rock, I mean, it was pretty much you weren't going to make it. You're going to have a hard time getting out of there. It's a desolate place. Not that it's dry and dusty, but it's desolate. It's far removed from civilization. Same word is used to describe John the Baptist who came from uh, preaching from the desert, from a, an out-of-the-way place, out of nowhere, where no civilization was, where no people were. There are no marketplaces there. There were no places of, of, of great gatherings of people. None of the comforts of home were found there. So if you're going to feed a multitude of 5,000 men plus women and children, this is the last place in the world you want to set up your tables to do that. Because you don't have anything of necessity to do such a thing. It was a place where there was no food, no access to food, no, no, no many people, no resources there. Notice also it was a late hour. The, the, the disciples say in verse number 15 that the time is now past. The time was far gone. means the sun was setting. There was not enough time to go to the market to get something and to bring it back. That seemed to be what Philip thought when he said, hey, there's not 200 penny worth is not enough to feed just a handful of people. 
he was, I guess in his mind, going to run to the market or something, try to make it back. But it was too far gone. The hour was too late to do anything about it. The extremity of this situation tells you and me that no matter what our situation looks like in life, no matter what the facts are, it does not it does not diminish the fact that God can work a miracle. You may look at your life and say, man, I am too far gone. I've gone down a road of sin too far to ever turn back now. Or, or my marriage, my home is too far broken for God to do anything about it. You may say that this is no place in my life for God to work a miracle. This situation's gone too far for anything to remedy it. The facts of this miracle show us that no matter how extreme the conditions are that surround your situation, they do not exclude God from showing up and doing what only God can do. You understand that? Notice, that's the fact. It's a desolate place. It's late in the evening. There's no time. There's no way humanly possible this could ever take place. That did not diminish the power of Jesus, not one little bit. bit. Fact number two. Not only the extremity of their surroundings, but the scarcity of their supply. Jesus, who was moved with compassion, you remember in verse number, I believe it was 13, moved with compassion to the people, not only... Healed the sick there, but he also, I believe, had compassion on their bellies. They were hungry. The human condition is that after a, a while, we our bodies begin to knock on the door and tell us that we're hungry. I was talking with a coworker at work. We was talking about losing weight, and my friend said it's very simple. Losing weight is very simple. He said, first of all. The number of calories that go in will equal, uh, you know, if you exceed that, well, then you're going to add weight. If you get too many calories coming in, you're going to add weight. So all you do is reduce the number of calories and you'll lose weight. I mean, it's as simple as that. And I said, well, it's not as simple as that. Because I have a broken gauge inside of me that tells me that's not enough calories. That's not enough calories. That's not enough calories. You see, listen, our bodies are made to where they become hungry. They become debilitated after a while because of hunger. And Jesus had compassion on this. And there were probably upwards of 15,000 people there that day. Not just the 5,000 men, but also women and children, mouths all over that hillside. Jesus had compassion. 200 penny worth was not sufficient for these, these people. And Jesus says to the disciples, you give them to eat. This is not a suggestion. This was a command. Jesus looks at them. You give them something to eat. We don't have anything. We don't even have 200 penny worth, which is equal to a man's year's salary. We don't have, we don't have the, uh, the, the ability, the, the funds to do this. We didn't have the money. And a matter of fact, look at what we do have. You can hold in in one hand five loaves and two small fish. Five loaves and two small fish. It was almost laughable to suggest, Lord, this is what we have. That's all I got. All these people, and I've got five loaves and two fishes. An insignificant amount of food for such a large gathering of hungry people. Are these the facts that surround your situation? What are the facts? What are the facts that surround you today? Your eyes look upon all the needs of your life. It may well be financial. It may well be food in your cabinet. It could be your marriage. It could be your home, your work life, your professional life. It is nothing but a barren desert. No hope. The hour's late. And there is so much that needs to be done. There's so many problems, they completely overwhelm me. And I've got no means to take care of it. I don't have enough funds, and everything that I do have 
Whether it be not enough money, not enough strength, not enough ability, not enough time. And what I do have is so small and so underwhelming that you completely negate it as a reasonable way to meet the need. Look, look at what's left. Look at what's left of my Sunday school class, my church, my marriage. Look at it. This is all that's left. Could you possibly do anything with that? Is there anything that you can do? All these facts added together. Keeping in mind of what Jesus is about. You know what He's going to do. Despite the desert place, the late hour, the lack of funds, the little lunch, everything that's there, you know Jesus is going to work a miracle. I want you to understand, when we look at these facts, all of the negatives, all of the excuses, everything we see in this passage, I want you to see, first of all, the answer to the first question, what are the facts? What do the facts say in this miracle? Number one, Jesus is aware. He knows. He knows. He may have asked for them to feed them, but He is completely aware of everything that's taking place. If there's one thing you need to know this morning, is that despite all the facts that surround you, take comfort in the fact that Jesus knows. He's aware of what you're facing. And it doesn't faze Him a bit. It doesn't cause Him to say, well, wait a minute, I didn't bargain for all this. He's aware. He's aware. The facts say that Jesus is aware. Notice second of all, what does the food show us about this miracle? What does the food show us about this miracle? You know, out of the Watergate scandal, back in the 70's, a phrase came out. I think it was from a movie more or less. But it's, it's, it's coming to pop culture. Have you ever heard somebody say, follow the money? If you're going to get to the bottom of a political scandal, follow the money. That's what the news report. Just follow the money. Follow where the money is because that, that always leads you to the real reason things happen. Well, I don't want you to follow the money this day. I want you to follow the food. Follow the food. If you're going to understand what Jesus is saying to us in this miracle, you need to follow the food. Watch the food. Follow the food. Number one, I want you to see first of all, it was given. If we follow the food, where's the food at? First of all, it's in a little boy's hand. You remember John? John telling us. God, John's uh, gospel, uh, the one I preach from the most, it, it gives us uh, the, 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 a, a different vantage point. There's this little boy there, has this little lunch in his hands. And this lunch is beginning to move. This food is, first of all, it is given. Now there's nothing to give the multitude except five loaves and two fishes. We know from John's account it was a meager lunch of a little boy that Andrew knew. We know from the language that this was not, not much more than just a few pieces of bread and a couple of sardines. Somebody, somebody, uh, some, one preacher said it was nothing but five saltines and two sardines. I mean, it was nothing. There was hardly anything to this meal at all. Just enough to suffice the appetite of a little boy. And so it wasn't much. And compared to the multitude on that hillside, this was insignificant. It was a laughable lunch. But yet this little boy, notice this, had something nobody else had. Evidently, nobody thought to bring anything. Nobody had anything. Nobody was willing to share anything if they did. This little boy had something that nobody else had. You know, you might not be much in comparison to your great needs, but I want you to know this. You're the only you that God, that God ever made. There's never been one like you. More of some people than others. Amen, I think. They're one of a kind, you know. The truth of the matter is, there's nobody else like you. You're the only one God made. You're very special in that God has formed you and made you and purposed you in this life. If you're in the middle of a problem, you're in the middle of a situation, I want you to understand that God knows what He's doing and He's made you and placed you there for His honor and His glory to do something in your life. The boy was also, not only was, not only was uh, uh, this boy had something nobody else had, but also Jesus was not speaking to anybody else. 
These disciples say, we got five loaves and two fishes. And Jesus is saying, bring them here, bring them to me. This boy was hearing something. These disciples were hearing something that nobody else was hearing. It was a glad day in my life when I knew God was, was talking to me. He was talking to me. I was opening up the Bible and I could tell God was speaking to me. I didn't have much to offer. I didn't have no ability, nothing in my hands I had, but Jesus was talking to me. Hey, know this. If you're in the midst of a problem, you're in the midst of a situation, you know, also God could be looking to you to be that miracle. This miracle started with this young man. It started with him hearing the voice of God. It started with him willing to give his food and what he had to Jesus. This food was given to Jesus telling us, that what we give to Jesus, Jesus takes. No matter how small it is. No matter how uneducated. No matter how unprosperous it is. No matter how, whatever. whatever it, it, God will take our lives. If we'll give it, He'll take it. And if He takes it, He blesses it. And then He uses it in astounding ways. Here's the thing. Have you ever given Jesus everything in your heart and life? Have you given Him what you have? You don't have much. I don't have much. But what I have tried to do in my life is take what I have in my hands and put it in His hands. Because I know when it's in His hands, He can do far more than it ever can be in my hands. I'd have made a wreck of my life 10,000 times over if I had not placed my life in His hands. Have you done that? Have you given your heart, your talent, your whatever, how small it may be, your heart, your life, your skill, your finances, your job, your family, your children, your husband, your wife, and given them into the hands of God? Because He can do far more with it than you could ever possibly imagine. The giving of this food shows us so much. So much. Notice also, not only do we see this food and it's giving. But also this, this food was granted. Notice, notice that Jesus took the food and then gave it to His disciples. Look back in, in chapter 14. Look at verse number 19. And He commanded the multitude to sit down on the, on the grass. And He took the five loaves and the two fishes and He looked up to heaven and blessed and break and gave the loaves, notice this, to His disciples. And the disciples to the multitude. You know, for years... Uh, uh, we see or notice that Jesus blesses the food, gives it to His disciples. Now, these were the same disciples that moments ago said, Lord Jesus, you can't expect us to feed this multitude. They were arguing with Jesus. This is no place to be attempting to feed a multitude of people. We just don't have the money, Jesus. Jesus be reasonable and send these people home so they can get something to eat. Jesus, the resources we have are just not enough to meet the need. And now Jesus is taking miracle bread and putting it in their hands. Miracle fish and placing it in their hands. Well, it's a good thing I wouldn't, Jesus. I'd be telling boy, boys, come over here. Look, smell all this bread, smell all this fish. That's as close as you're going to get to it. I'm going to give it to everybody myself. You guys couldn't, you didn't believe that I could do this. You didn't believe that I, 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 could, I was able to do this. I could, I could meet this need. You guys didn't have faith enough to believe me. Well, by golly, I'm just going to give it all out myself. But that's not what he did. Now he's taking it and putting it into their hands. He, he know he granted them the opportunity of not only seeing it and smelling it and holding it, but to carry it and distribute it to others. Listen, Jesus could have filled their bellies in a moment with a word. Jesus could have caused bread and fish to materialize in their very hands as they sit there on that hillside. But God sees fit through human instrumentality to work His miracles. You know, the truth of the matter is, why don't we see miracles performed in our day and time? I honestly believe it's not because God's ability is waned. It's because God's people's availability has waned. If we'll make ourselves available, 
to put uh, to let God put things in our hands. If we'll make our lunch available, if we'll make ourselves available, even though we are faithless, even though we are faltering, even though we have no idea and we can't we can't possibly imagine how God can meet the need, if we'll make ourselves available, God, despite our faithlessness, could use us to work a miracle. Time and time again, God uses human instrumentality to work miracles. I think about, I think about Jesus taking, uh, taking the blind man. And he, he makes, he, he, he said in order for him to, uh, to have his sight, he, he spit on the ground. He made a, made a little mud ball, a mud paddy out of the spit. And he, he put it into his eyes and healed him. Let me say, what's that got to do with anything? But that's all we are. You're a great big pile of dust. You're a great big ball of mud. That's all you are. And yet God could use you and make you instrumental in opening blinded eyes, in meeting people's needs, in working miracles in the local church if we'll make ourselves available. Just because you've been faithless, just because you have not been faithful, does not negate the fact that God will still use you. Still use you. It was granted. This food was granted. And it says volumes to us. God can still use you and me in meeting not only my need, but the needs of others. This food was given. This food was granted. This food was gratifying. Look in verse number 20. And they did all eat and were filled. For years I've read to my children from this same Bible storybook, and you probably heard me talk about it because I can't get to this point without thinking of that Bible storybook. I read it to Allison when she was little, and, and I, we've torn that book apart, or it got torn apart, and we buy another one and buy another one because I love the illustrations in it. And for this particular miracle, it shows this little black-headed, curly-headed girl, and she's laying on the ground with her head resting uh, upon a log, and she's got this big distended belly. You can tell she just ate a huge meal, and she's licking her lips, and she's that that illustration, that little cartoon picture says everything about satisfaction, gratification, Jesus meeting the need in their life, in her life. Oh, listen, listen, this, um, it is a very picture of satisfaction. But how could this happen? I mean, how could this happen? The text said there were 5,000 men and they were not counting women and children. <coughs> Let's just generally say that every man there had a wife and every wife had a child. That crowd grows to 15,000 people, possibly, on that hillside. So if, if this lunch by the little lad is the average lunch that every individual has, do you realize that for all these people to be fed, five loaves and two fishes, Jesus produced out of five loaves, 70,000 loaves. And out of two fish, He produced 30,000 fish from those two. That it seems impossible. It seems incredibly unlikely. How did that happen? Well, Jesus bypassed the natural process. How do you get five loaves to turn into 50,000? How do you get two fish to turn into 30,000? You bypass the natural, the natural process of things. You see, as he handed out the food, there were fish that had never been caught. Fish that had never been cleaned. Fish that had never been put in an oven and cooked. And here they are. Fully cooked. Fully made. Being handed out to air. You say, how in the world is that possible? Well, God made Adam, didn't He? He made Adam and not as a little boy and had to learn how to crawl and then walk and then feed himself and then all that. No, Adam come in as a fully grown man. Here's Jesus passing out, fully mature, fully ready to eat fish or, or bread by the thousand, 70,000 fish by the 30,000. What about the, 
What about the bread? Bread's got to be the bread, the the ingredients of the wheat inside the bread's got to be harvested. It's got to be threshed. It's got to be ground and milled. It's got to have little oil and whatever you ladies do to put in there to make bread. And it's got to be kneaded. It's got to be put in the oven. It's got to go through a, a process like that. But Jesus, he bypasses the natural process. He meets the needs directly. Here comes here comes loaves out of his hands that are fully formed and fully baked and fully ready. And I think they've got that oh Charlie's little little sweet stuff on the top of it and make it smell like make it taste like cake. Here you go. It's going and being passed out to all the people. He bypasses the natural. You may scratch your head and look at your problem and say, I have no idea. How in the world Jesus could possibly meet this need, do this thing, heal this life, change that heart. Jesus does not have one bit of sweat on his brow. You see, Jesus doesn't have to have, oh man, I said it in my notes and I don't want to miss it. Jesus doesn't have to have all of the elements of a situation to be right before he can do a work. He doesn't have to have uh, all of the situation add up to where he can meet the need. He doesn't need all the threads of plausibility and reasonable exclamation explanation to meet the needs in your life. He doesn't need all these situations to line up. He doesn't need your reasoning power and say, well, if God, if you would do this, then she would do that, then they would do this, then they'd get back to church, and they'd be right with the Lord, and everything would be right. God doesn't need that. He can bypass the natural. He can change the human heart. How in the world could God change the heart of a reckless, hateful, wicked young man living far from his family, No boundaries. He could do anything he wants to. How could God reach that son's heart? He can bypass the natural. He can somehow use a track in a hotel room in South Georgia. He can use a testimony uh, spoken in the ear of that young man to bring him to a point of decision and do something only God could do. I've heard the finest preachers. I've seen them preach like their shirt tails was on fire. I've been in Holy Ghost revivals and people jumping out windows and running down aisles. Oh, if God can't reach him then, there's just no hope for him. That's not true. That's not true. Your, your wayward loved one, your, your lost son or daughter, mom or dad, you don't know what's going on in the background as God bypasses the natural and meets the need. Here we see that it was gratifying. He met the need. I don't know how he did it. But he can take that. What does this food show us about this miracle? Not only that he is able, or not only that he is aware, but that he's able. What you need to know from this miracle is that Jesus is aware of your situation. He's not lost on it. And he's perfectly capable of overcoming it. He's able. Last of all, What does the facts say about this miracle? What does the food show about this miracle? What do the fragments signify about this miracle? You know, every miracle that Jesus did is like a great big signpost. It's like spotlights in the midnight sky of who Jesus is. The miracles of Jesus are divine signs that point us and tell us that this is no ordinary man. That He is indeed the promised one of God. To do what Thomas Jefferson done and carve out all of the miraculous is to put Jesus, take Him from the lofty heights of the very person of God and bring Him down and set Him beside Confucius and Buddha and Muhammad and all of the other teachers. Here, Jesus is no ordinary man. He is no ordinary person. He is God of very God. The promised one of God. With that in mind, we look at the end of this miracle and see the fragments of food. Notice in verse number verse number 20. And they did eat and were filled and they took up the fragments that remained twelve baskets full. Notice in these baskets we see first of all The sufficiency of who Jesus is. The whole thing started out with five loaves and two small fishes. 
And by the end of the whole thing, there are 12 baskets full of leftover. Over and above and beyond what the people consumed. I'm sure there's a couple out there that ate more than their fair share of fish that afternoon. They had quite a few pieces of bread. You know, that's, that's, that's always tough when we go to Fazoli's and the, the bread just never seems to get past the boys to me and Carrie. I don't know what it is about it, but it just disappears. I'm sure there were some out there, they're having all the bread, they can have all the fish that they could have. And so, but this, but here at the end, notice he takes the meager meals, the most, the most limited of lunches, the most scant of supply, and when it is placed in his hands, he supernaturally not only meets the need, but exceeds the need. Goes well beyond what was even needed. What looked impossible to these disciples, Jesus overcomes and then some. Paul said in Philippians 4.19, But my God shall supply all your need according to His riches in glory. That according to His riches in glory means that He'll never run out. That He's always enough. That He always has plenty. There's no need He can't meet. There's no problem He can't solve. I'll never forget my very first message. I feebly preached. You think my voice was bad? It's bad now. You should have heard it the night I preached my first message. I can hardly say anything above a whisper. I have no idea why. It was on August the twenty August the eighteenth, two thousand and one, and I preached a message entitled "He's More Than Enough." I said that He's more than enough for my external needs, my food, my water, my air, my financial problems. I said that He's more than enough for my for my uh, my internal needs. My soul, my heart, my emotions, my, my, my deep desires, my longings. He's more than enough finally for my eternal needs. He can save my soul. He can take care of my eternity. He can save me. He's more than enough for my external, my internal, my eternal needs. Buddy, you talk about some boldness that day. I'm saying that Jesus is more than enough. And the truth of the matter is there's been a lot of water under the bridge since then. <laughs> I was a naive young man when I preached that message. There's a lot of things about the, pre, uh, the preaching ministry that I told the Lord Jesus at the time. Yes, I'll do that. I will. I'll follow you to the cross. And the reality is I didn't know the hurt, the pain, the agony. I didn't know the difficulty. I didn't know how, how hard it was going to be. But I can still tell you to this day, I can stand here and flat-footed still tell you that He is still more than enough, more than enough without any hesitation, without any qualification. Jesus can meet my needs. I still trust Him. After all this decade, nearly and a half later, I can still trust Him. He can meet my need. He's still able. He's still sufficient. He's still able. Time and time again, He has proved His ability to far exceed my impossibilities. And what He's done for others, like the song says, He'll do for you. Last of all, not only the sufficiency of Jesus but the supremacy of Jesus. Notice verse uh, John chapter number 6. We have to turn over. To, well, notice in our passage, when you, when you go to verse number 22, Matthew 14, 22, it says, and straightway, Jesus constrained His disciples to get in a ship and to go before Him to the other side. Here, we see Jesus, and then He slips away from the multitude, went into a place to play, a pray. So here's Jesus now. He immediately, after this miracle is performed, He immediately begins to diffuse the situation. Get the disciples out of here. Get me out of here. Let's separate. Let's get out of this place. Why? John tells us. John, John chapter number 6 and verse number 14 and 15, the crowd begin to say this. They, they said, this is of a truth, that prophet that should come into the world. Their eyes were being opened to who Jesus was. They were referring to the prophecy of Moses that gave concerning another prophet that would come. This was understood to be the Messiah, the sent one of God, the deliverer of Israel, the king of Israel, the one to sit on the throne of his father David. And he would reign forever and ever. It was then that they proceeded to take Jesus and make him by force to be their king. John 6, 15, Jesus Oh, they forced him to be king in John uh, 6.15. Now, it's 21 chapters in John. You're a long way from Jesus going to the cross and fulfilling God's plan and destiny. He doesn't need to be made king right now. Jesus is well aware of the hour in which he came. 
But I want you to understand that this whole miracle, what Jesus did was not to fill their bellies for a few hours, was not to have all the disciples ooh and ah at a magic trick. It was to bring glory to Himself. It's for that whole crowd to see who Jesus was. God's ultimate plan for meeting your need, your impossible situation, is not that you might breathe a sigh of relief when it's all said and done. Lord got me out of that one. It's not for you to lay down and get a good night's sleep for the first time in several months. No. It is not that you might be a be- have a better quality of life, have a better financial situation, have a better home life. No. It is that you might see Him as He truly is. Why do we beg God to do miracles in this church? Not to draw a crowd and, and, and to have a, a circus side show. It is for God to reveal who He is, what He can do, what His glory is like, what His power is like in our individual lives. It was shown the supremacy of Jesus. That you might see who He truly is, the supreme authority over all things in heaven and in the earth. The miracle signifies not only that Jesus is aware And that Jesus is able. But that Jesus is almighty. He is almighty. He is God in the flesh. Come to live and reside in our lives, in our hearts. Just as much as Peter, James, uh, uh, Peter and John and, and, and James walked with Jesus side by side, we have His presence by the Spirit of God. He is with us. He is here this morning. And He's able to work miracles in our midst. The miracles that cause us to bow down and love Him. To bow down and worship Him. To bow down and adore Him. To exalt Him in our lives in a position well above our own will. Our own desires. Our own hearts. It is a call for us to praise Him. If there's anything that this message ought to do, it ought to cause us to bow a knee and worship Jesus. Because He still works miracles. He still does that which no other power can do. One of my favorite preachers is a Welch preacher by the name of Ivor Powell. He's gone to be with the Lord many years ago in the early, I think the late 90's. He died and went to be with the Lord. He was a Welch evangelist known worldwide for his just quaint way of explaining the Scriptures. He could captivate you. By the way he preached. I love listening to him. He, he tells a story in one of his books of meeting a disfigured African leper by the name of Paul Capatola. Capatula. This leper in the Belgian Congo had been like an apostle to the Lamba people of that region. Dr. Powell wrote, His white shirt was torn at the collar. His long khaki trousers effectively hid his toeless feet. His hands were like misshapen potatoes fashioned to the end of long bony forearms. But his hut was like a sanctuary. During their conversation, the man told Dr. Powell that his, quote, favorite Bible story was the feeding of the 5,000. The miss. Shapened leper said to Dr. Powell, When I think of Christ and what He did, it helps me. It helps me. Why is the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 in there? To help us. To help us. Any one of us are hungry on that hillside. Have no other place to turn, no other option but a miracle. Every one of us are like that little boy that has a little bit of something but can't be compared to that multitude. We need to give it to Him. Every one of us are like those disciples who scratch our head and shake our heads and say, no, this, this can't be possible. It can't happen. But God can still use us. It helps us. It helps us. It helps me. Every time I revisit, every time I come back, it helps me. It helps me to face tomorrow. He could right well help you to become Jesus and have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. He could help you in your marriage. He could help you in your school. He could help you in your job, in your home, in your family. Let it help you this day. Feast on the miracle. Jesus.
Jesus calls us, come and dine, come and eat this morning. Feast on what Jesus has given us. A miracle that proves He's aware, He knows, that He's able, and that He is Almighty. Let's stand to our feet as we come to a song of, of invitation, every head bowed and every eye closed. No one looking this morning. As we stand in silence, as we every head bowed and every eye closed, I wonder, are you here this morning and you have, you've never genuinely said to the Lord Jesus, Lord, I'm sorry for my sin. I'm sorry that I have rebelled against you. And I ask you this day to come into my heart life. God, forgive me of my sins. God, I pray you'd, you'd just come and forgive me that you'd, that you'd save me this hour. Save me from the judgment to come. I wonder if you'd call out to Him this morning. If that if that'd be your prayer, this place is an altar down here, a place where you can come to know Him in saving faith. I'll take the Bible. I'll meet you. I'll show you how you can know the Lord in saving faith. <laughs> Maybe you're here and you say, Lord... Truth of the matter is, you brought to the service. You know, that's the way it always happens in preaching. You don't come in knowing this is going to happen. Somehow, during the preaching of God's Word, He brings a need to the surface. He brings a problem. He brings that situation. And He shows you that He is the remedy. Maybe you need to come down to this altar and say, God, I want to embrace you as that remedy. Thank you for showing this today. God, I pray you'd work a miracle in my life. I pray you'd make me full of faith and trust you when everything seems to be an extreme. God, I pray you'd take me and and use me. I don't have much to offer, but what I do have, I'm going to give to you. July the 22nd, 2001 was the day I did that genuinely for the first time. God, I'm giving you what I have. Take it and use it. Whatever your need is this morning, you may be facing an impossibility. Why don't you come to this altar and say, God, thank you for showing me that you're aware. Thank you for showing me that you're able. Thank you for showing me that you are almighty. I trust you. Help me to trust you. God, I believe. Help my unbelief. I know he'll meet your need. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. Thank you for the Lord Jesus. I pray that you would speak to hearts this morning. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I'm trusting to the unseen hand. We hope and pray that today's episode of the Unseen Hand podcast has been a help and blessing to you. For more information such as other podcasts, ministry helps, blog posts, previous sermons, or how to contact Brother Brown directly, just go to RonnieBrown.net. Join us next time for another message from Brother Ronnie on the Unseen Hand Podcast. Until then, may God's unseen hand gently guide you on your journey home. The Unseen Hand.